All right, thanks for tuning in, everybody. This is Louis J, and we're staying alive. And man, I'm excited tonight, um, only because I've got a good friend here that's joining us on the podcast. Um, his name's Mike Zimick, and he is the founder of Human Scaffold. Um, he's going to tell you about that business and why uh, I wanted to have him on. He's going to give you some background on on uh, himself and uh, kind of give you some insights as to what Human Scaffold does and and what we might be able to gain from a value proposition to understand, you know, how that could possibly improve our lives, you know, professionally and personally to that matter. But uh, before we do that, welcome, Mike. I'm happy to have you here, bud. Hey, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. I mean, I think it's always important to understand context. So I'd love you to tell, um, you know, our listeners about, you know, the story behind Mike Zimmick. Man, it goes back to growing up in Welland, but I was hoping that maybe that might not come up. I don't want that to suddenly be <laughs> a problem. Yeah, but um, speaking of, of growing up there, when uh, I had a, uh, a job in school there um, and I was uh, in charge of the pools, we had an, a large number of outdoor pools in Welland for some reason, and I was in charge of the uh, the maintenance and uh, I would just go around visiting people all day. And I thought, man, if I could somehow turn this into a career, that'd be amazing. What a job. So then I came across being a drug rep. And I thought, this is perfect. I can <laughs> apply science to it, go see doctors and, you know. So uh, I started doing that. And then I, I met my wife, who was a teacher. And then I thought, man, that looks pretty good. I, 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 maybe there's something I can do in pharma along those lines. Uh, the head office was in Montreal. And everyone who was in the head office was divorced. So uh, that wasn't going to be a go. So I left, uh, became a high school teacher, went back to teacher's college after I had been doing that for about eight years, went and was a teacher for um, 10 years. And then I got the call back and I came to pharma and that's where we met, right? I right. Was, so, uh, yeah. So we back up there. Then you, you started off as a pharma rep, left yep. pharma. Yes. Um, and that seems odd in itself. I mean, I don't know anybody in pharma that ever leaves pharma. I mean, it's, mm. a, it's you know, I wouldn't say that it's the most, uh, it's not a difficult job. It's one that most pharma reps enjoy and love. Yep. Um, and they typically stay in the industry. Nobody ever really leaves pharma. So for mm. you to leave to go be a teacher um, is is unique. It's interesting. And then, and then you, you left teaching. No um, one does that either. Nobody, te- <laughs> nobody leaves teaching. You're, you're escaping from everything, bud. Um, and then you came back to pharma. pharma. That, that is where we met. Yes. Yeah. And uh, so I got into management and um, it was great. We, we got to work a lot on uh, some projects with, uh, your, um, with, through your marketing company. And uh, yeah, it, it, was, uh, it was a lot of fun, but there was always something where I, um, I was always drawn to wanting to be uh, an entrepreneur or start my own business. And I didn't know what that was. And it was funny because a big part of that, journey took place here at cabin <laughs> if you remember we were after a meeting that we had here one day we were uh, we were chatting and i i said you know louie i, I want to ask you a question if you wouldn't mind and um that's when you said i'm married i said well no <laughs> what, what, do you, what do you got what do you got <laughs> that's not it <laughs> so anyway so uh yeah i said i wanted to try something and you kind of got me started thinking about well what do you want to do maybe you should try some things you know pick up a couple books and think so it was a long period of time where where i i, I thought of this and um and then i i thought of education and and working in um 
with businesses and supporting people. And that's where I came up with this idea of human scaffold. And uh, in education, scaffolding is um, um, it was created by a guy named uh, Lev Vygotsky, who was a psychologist from the 1800s. All his work was lost. He died when he was 30 years old. And he, he, they refound it in the 70s. Like they found so many things in the 70s, right? And... Um, and it was all this idea that it's almost like based on apprenticeship type of thing. So you have a learner who knows nothing and uh, the, the teacher who knows everything. So how do you find that part in between and how do you help support that? And that's where they came up with this idea of, of scaffolding. So that's where I thought, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that, not with education, though but with business well, and, it's and funny. with helping people. I, I recall the conversations, the early conversations, and I think that's really why um, our friendship started to, to, to blossom, as it were, because you had a unique approach, certainly to the way you managed people, um, to the way you managed your business unit, and to, um, I think, just you know approaching life in general. And it's always been a pleasure. I always enjoy the time that we had together and certainly working on those projects from you know me and my marketing background and you and your your teaching background i think collectively our approach to producing work together was you know it was really it was beneficial we ended up putting out a better product i think and and um i think you've always had or at least for me i i'd always recognized that entrepreneurial interest mm -hmm. and that spark and that you know willingness to take a bit of a leap and a, and a risk mm -hmm. and i think in, in, in one of the episodes before we're talking about how entrepreneurs are really problem solvers yeah and you find the hole and you fill the hole with something and <clears throat> that's really what my life's been like and you know, when I found out that you had pursued the interest around, you know, helping people, um, that became even more of an interest for me. And when you came up with the name Human Scaffold and started to describe it to me, I thought this is something that could be very powerful. Mm. And not only, you know, is it is it applied to business, but I think what we're going to learn is that this is something that could be applied to, you know, personal life. And again, if I'm going to be doing anything here with the podcast, it's going to be how do we improve and create value in our personal and business lives. And uh, of course, I love business. I love starting businesses. And, you know, um, there's always been a challenge around the, the, um, the HR side of our business, the personalities that you bring into the business. So is Human Scaffold going to help solve some of those problems that, you know, us as entrepreneurs find and maybe can't get over? Is that you know, the kind of premise behind what you're offering. Yes. And, um, and as you're saying that it's, you've, you've positioned it well, it's, it's, it's guiding that process, right. Of self-awareness. So um, how can you create a situation where we can start to be aware of what our strengths or our motivators are? And then how do we then build that out to our team? whoever you're working with. So a cabin, for instance, uh, all the group that you're working with, if you're working on a sales team, if you're an educator and you, you have a bunch of teachers uh, working together kind of in pods, but together, mm -hmm. right? Then how can you create that team connectedness that I call it? And then beyond that, you can even take it to the next step of then looking at your, your, your customers, your clients, and then and trying to see how, um, you can bring value to them by recognizing that same self-awareness. So human scaffold is all about self-awareness in a lot of respects. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm a business owner. I've got 20, 25, 30 people. Um, what would I go to human scaffold for? What am I looking to, to, to gain? 
So there's my when I went through the journey of trying to to figure out what this was going to be all about and what what value I could bring to people. It was people. <laughs> That's what I kept going through, and I, I read. I got out of the. I live in Hamilton. I went to the uh, the local library, got a book out, and it was about. Um, it was written by a woman from Vancouver, um, who created when she was twenty one years old a uh, craft fair, and she, it went. It ended up going out across the uh, the country, and it became a North American phenomenon. And in the book, there was a workbook at at the end of each chapter. She would say, "Okay, now." This is how I started. What do you think? What are your what are areas that you want to improve in? What are you good at? And so I went and kind of read through the whole book and I didn't do the workbook. And then I thought, why am I not doing the workbook? <laughs> this is the whole point of it. So I went back and I did all this stuff and it worked. I couldn't believe it. And it came back to how uh, it's people. And um, all my jobs involved meeting people and getting to know people and, and working from that perspective, right? So then I thought, well, I think I need to get to know myself a little bit more. So that's where I stumbled across this behavioral analysis. It's called PDA, Personal Development Analysis. And it's really a great stepping stone to, to open up a discussion and, and see what some of your strengths, motivators, wh- how you like to be managed, how you like to manage people, um, what what is your sales style? It could be a number of things that it can jump off of. And then once you create that awareness and everyone on a team has awareness, then you can start taking it up from there. And just like scaffolding, you're, you're taking it from a point of not knowing to knowing. And who's going to help you? That's where human scaffold comes in to support you. So you'll end up coordinating, you know, let's say the uh, exercise of this PDA, yeah, uh, which I um, actually thought would be valuable if I had a chance to take it. Yeah. And, uh, and I did. And I didn't know what I was taking, quite honestly. I knew that it was going to be an analysis and maybe it would help me define some things about me, um, an awareness for me. It yep. was going to be maybe just a validation of what I think I am. And more importantly, I think what it became for me was um, an understanding of what I am to other people. Yes. And, and I got to be honest, I was, I was shocked only in that there was three questions and I expected the analysis to require more input from me, but there was three questions and I'll describe them. Um, one was a, a multiple choice uh, area where I could choose words that other people would use to describe me. Mm-hmm. And that was question number one. And there's probably 50 some odd choices there. And you choose every word that somebody would ever use to describe you. And so I did. And then you move to the next part of the question. And that was to then take the same words and identify how I would describe myself. Mm-hmm. And um, as other people would see you. Right. And that yeah. was, it was actually, I thought that was a neat exercise because. Mm-hmm. A couple of them I, you know, unchecked or un, unclicked because I, I didn't think I was being honest or fair. So it put me into a bit of a mindset there. And then the third question was for me to write a story about myself. And it could be as long or as short as I wanted. It was my story. And so I don't think it was that long of a story, but I kind of summarized who I am if I was to describe myself to somebody else. And then I went to click next and it says, you know, you're finished. So I'm thinking three questions in, you know, really... <laughs> What kind of value am I going to get out of this? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, of course, we run through this mindset of skeptical and, you know, uh, let's see what this comes back with. Mm. <laughs> then you called me <laughs> and described um, 
an overview. First of all, I think that your your review of it was really informative because mm-hmm. it gave me an insight as to how this worked. And you can talk about that in a second. But I what I was blown away by was this summary, this profile summary that you read um, was like I wrote it. And it was like I wrote every possible detail about myself that would help somebody else understand exactly who I am. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, wait a minute, this is hugely valuable. If I had all of my staff um, take this PDA, um, is it a test? Yeah, an assessment. I guess. An assessment. Yeah. Assessment. Yeah. That's a better word because there's really no right or wrong. It's you. No. Yeah. So the, uh, this assessment, if I had all my staff, I I would begin to understand more clearly about what really made them tick. And I was exposed to something like this a little while ago, maybe a couple of years ago, where they talked about the language. Well, yeah, language of love or Language something. of love. Yep. And how people respond differently to the way you approach them and to how you reward them and, and <clears throat> what makes you know them really tick. You know? And uh, that was a huge learning for me because it, it shaped the way I communicated with my team. Mm-hmm. It also shaped the way I communicated with my family. You know, I mm-hmm. realized quite quickly that Tammy... Um, my wife, uh, her language of love is, is, um, is, uh, affection. And so, you know, the first thing that I would do from coming home from something is opposed, as opposed to talking about what I didn't like on the way up or the porch didn't look good or, or, you know, Hey, I brought you this. It was really a matter of just, let me just give you a hug. And, and then you can get into the other And then stuff. I get into the stuff that, you know, drives everybody crazy. And, you know, here he is. He's back again. But anyway, um, it, it really changed, I think, the way I operated. And I loved learning. And that was really very much like this morning. For me, mm-hmm. it was learning that there was a tool that was, in my case, I would say was 100% accurate. And there was only three questions that got me there. So Really even two. The third one is just an exercise of you going through that, and then you can compare the results to that. But it doesn't go into the analysis. Okay. So oh, is that really right? Just the two, yeah. It's two questions. So I'd love, to, I'd love for you to tell our listeners like how that came about and why that became a standard analysis that people could count on. Mm-hmm. Not only for, you know, I can see the value in certainly in, a, in an employment environment or like, you know, when you have a team or a staff, but I could see that, you know, imagine if you if you had a chance to take this analysis with your kids and your family and your friends and all of a sudden you start to realize that maybe there's uh, a different approach or there's a different um, uh, mindset when you're when you're communicating. So mm-hmm. I'd love for you to tell everybody about PDA and its history and you know some of the, the important things that you think can help try to really uh, set everybody into understanding more of it. Yeah, and historically it was created by a, a psychologist named William Marston back in the 30s. Um, he was a Harvard professor. Uh, his wife uh, had an interest in this as well. And this is where he came up with uh, this idea of um, how people react differently in their, their natural environment or what they're like at home and how they would be different at work or uh, if they're going to be presenting on a stage and how, how do you, uh, how do you react in those situations? Right. So that's a lot what the two situations that you said with those two questions and, and it's amazing that they can just take those adjectives that you described yourself with and then saw others describe and then come up with uh, a profile based on how well you manage risk, your extroversion, whether it's high or you're more introverted, uh, your level of patience, uh, and your conformity to norms. And then also can take it one step further that no other analysis does, and it looks at your, your ability to, 
to control yourself emotionally in those type of environments as well. Whether you're more rational if it's high or if it's lower, um, you tend to be a bit more emotional with those situations. And so when you add all that stuff together, that's where it comes up to your report. And we can, it was, it's, it's always that first bit where I, we start talking and I said, well, listen, I'm just going to read you the first little section. And what do you think? Are we on the ball? And you're like, yeah, totally. And it gives you the permission to go. And it's very validating. Right. Um, but again, when you have that now, um, a lot of those things you already probably knew about yourself, but it's nice to kind of see how it's shaped up. And when you look at it in terms of risk, extroversion, patience, norms, then you start looking and seeing how it would be a fit with other people that you work with. Maybe someone new that you're going to be bringing into the organization. You can even create a profile if you're going to have a position in your, uh, your business or anyone's organization and say, this is what I need from this individual. You create a profile and when they come in for the interview, it doesn't mean they have to match to it, but if they don't, then let's talk about that. Let's create interview questions to understand a little bit more of what you're, where you're at because in the end, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a validation and a scientific support to your gut feel. Well, I, I think was you're say, grading your gut feel. Yeah, right? I mean, you, the, most of the time, you know, um, as business owners, entrepreneurs, we end up moving a lot of our, uh, our actions based on our gut. And for the most part, I think that you end up making good decisions because your gut tells you. And in some cases, you end up questioning what went wrong because although it felt really good, the outcome didn't prove to be good. Mm-hmm. And this almost sounds like a good way to be able to find the perfect, the perfect marriage here, the perfect fit. Where, as you described some of the things about me, um, it would only make sense that the perfect fit to work beside me or along with me would be slightly different than me. And they would yeah. support those areas that I don't have strengths or, or uh, assessed, you know, as, as, you know, for example, I'm in the extrovert um, um, mode. And perhaps somebody that was an introvert might be a better fit for me, for, depending on the role that I want them to perform. Yeah. So uh, do you recall any of the stuff that came off of mine today? Because oh, yeah. it really was, it was fascinating, man. And I, I, I don't mind sharing it. Okay. Yeah. So your, your profile was you had a higher risk and a higher extroversion. So higher risk means that you're willing to make decisions in the moment based on the information that you have, which for a lot of people, they're not comfortable with that. There's a lot of people, if they have a lower risk, they, they want to take time to, to gather some information before making a decision. Right. So in a leadership position, that's a really great uh, strength to have. And that's a great part of your profile. And then if you have to boot, you like working with people and you gain energy from that and you prefer to do that and you have a high extroversion like you do, mm-hmm. that's awesome. But what, like I said, the expression I use is what goes up must come down. <laughs> it, there's only a small infinite amount of um numbers that can help to support that. So if it's out of 200 and you're already at 150 with your risk and extroversion, then the others must be low, right? So if your patience is low, that means you're you're more of a multitasker, right? Which you said was bang on and you have many projects on the go and as for a person running a business, that's great. You like you gain energy from that. You're you're really good at that. So maybe you might like to have someone that is the opposite of that who can work on each one of those tasks and get them through to completion. And so they would be the person that shows signs of having a lot of patience. Yeah. 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 Like you would normally think based on the word, someone who would be a great listener and be, would be very patient and not, you know, 
uh, not losing their interest quickly on, on a given topic. Right. 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 So, uh, <laughs> which if there's no right or wrong answer, right. But if you have a whole bunch of people that are multitaskers and everyone's changing their minds all the time, that's not really a great idea for a team unless for whatever reason, that's a benefit for that. Yeah. I mean, that I could organization. See, I could see in certain cases where a collection of those type of people would be a great project or it would be um you know potentially finding a great outcome mm-hmm. and then having somebody to pass it on to so that they could actually see it become a, a deliverable yes um and finally a product if that was the case but if left left to the devices of all the same people in the same room chances are it's not going to get done no and like you, my own personal example my i have I'm, I'm similar to yours, your profile, in that I have a lower patience. I like multitasking and variety, right? When I was a teacher, I taught 25 courses over 10 years. Principals love me. <laughs> Whenever there's a hole to fill, you just call me. Hey, you want to teach math? Sure. You want to teach careers? Why not, right? Let's teach drama. Then I started teaching drama. Who ever would have thought that I would have done that in, in, in when I was to have a science background, right? But you also need the people that are specialists in the area, right? That wasn't me. That wasn't something that I was going to do. I was going to teach science for 30 years and then retire. That just wasn't part of my makeup, right? So it's, it's about the balance and having that, that balance. So, um, so with your, your profile, it's perfect, but you could also see where there would be compliments to that. And then you can also use it one step further, like I said, and create uh, leadership profiles and leadership matching to see how people uh, best get together. Because the best part, it's all about moving things down the line and having open communication. Mm -hmm. You know, if you can create in any given situation, a vulnerability where people are willing to admit and be free with their feelings, it creates trust. And once you have trust, then you have open communication. And if you have open communication and what I define that as, we can have a conversation about anything where people aren't going to be offended and it can move things forward. If you can get to that point where I'm not worried about you're going to say something or you're going to go and talk to that person or whatever, then you're living the dream, right? Then that's, yeah, that's, the, that's where the team is connected. And I can see where you've already built that here. That's um, my hope. I mean, yeah. it's in, in, in the beginning of the conversation in any interview for any position that I've ever had, <clears throat> I would admit that at some point something's going to go wrong and mm-hmm. you're going to be pissed off. You're going to be upset about it. And um, there's a plan for that. And the plan is, let's be honest. Let's be open. Let's have the conversation. Let's not leave anything off the table. It's got to be talked about. Yep. And, you know, we'll figure out what's next because once you've invested so much on, you know, um, finding that person and that talent and then bringing them in and having them understand your environment intimately and training and, you know, you just recognize that it's, it's not going to be uh, off. Uh, it's not going to be dismissed because there was uh, somebody upset. There was an argument. There's a disruption. There was something that caused somebody to say, I don't like this. I'm not here. I'm gone. Um, I think you can remedy anything with an open, honest conversation. Absolutely. And maybe sometimes someone will walk away, but then you know that they're going to come back the next day and say, ah, you know, I I thought about it. Yeah, I thought about it. Or maybe push back to you, you know? And so anyway, it brings it to that conversation. These are great examples of you can have that a report and shift the accountability to the report because sometimes it can be an awkward thing to, to, to bring up to someone and say, hey, you know, I've noticed that you don't have a strength in time management or whatever it may be, but you, if it's shifted to the report and you can say, hey, I was reading on page 13 of the report, it said that you have a tendency to do that. Is that really, you know, because these reports, there's, there's always going to be things that aren't perfect and aren't, you know, may not connect with that individual. But 
it shifts that conversation, opens it up, and then it's part all part of that self awareness. Yeah, the you self awareness works both ways. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's about yeah. communication, really, in the end. I think that if if you had something to lean on, like a tool, like the PDA, um, then the discussion becomes less awkward and more constructive. Yeah, and the outcome, of course, better. Yeah, and I mean, I like that. And and for me, like I said, going through the exercise was is quite shocking in in how bang on it was. And if I was to share that a profile with my team, I think one of two things could happen. It could validate the way they think about Louie. And it could also highlight, you know, why they may have looked at a shortcoming or a personality trait that just didn't fit with them because they are different. And yeah. they, they wish that I didn't have that, but now they understand why. Totally. You know? or, or the other way around, that they love that part about me and they can understand why I'm driven by it, you know. And that's another part is, is hopefully this is the case for everyone, but is it coming from a good place? When someone says something, or, or will you be left to think, why did you say that? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. are, are you busting my chops? Or mm-hmm. you're like, no, well, that's, you know, and once you understand people's, uh, what drives their behaviors and what strengths and what motivates them, then you would realize that someone who has a high risk is just going to come right out and say what they think and let's move on. Let's not mince words and let's go to the next step versus someone that maybe wants to, let's think about that or I wouldn't want to share that because I wouldn't want to offend that person. Right. Thing, right? right. So, but if you know that that's what your profile is based on, doesn't necessarily mean it's right if someone says that, but it, it, it means that it's coming from the right place. And people are, are less apt to be offended by what someone else might say. And that keeps the communication open, right? Right. So the company's called Human Scaffold. Yes. You've put together a program that you call the Human Scaffold Experience. Yes. It includes this assessment, the PDA. Yep. What other tricks do you have in your bag? Well, then f- from there, as I mentioned earlier, um, it's then about how do you bring teams together, right? And so that's a, that's a big part of it. And, um, the, you know, the, the PDA part of it is one part. Like I mentioned before, I, 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 uh, I taught drama. That was a really life-changing experience. And I, I know that sounds kind of corny, but it is. And when, when, I, when I saw kids in grade nine come in who, who wouldn't make eye contact with anyone and, you know, and by the end of the semester, they're delivering a monologue and it's really dynamic and you do, it's, it's amazing, right? Because it follows that path of vulnerability, trust, open communication. Like if you can get... Uh, create an environment like that, that's amazing. And a huge tool was with improv. And I'm by no means an expert in that area. But if you take the the, the main tenets of listening, agreeing with one another, and of then course. yes and, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, now, you're, you just threw that out. I'm going to take it now to the next level so that we can heighten and explore. And not only are you going on a path of creativity and maybe innovation, but um, if everyone's in the same boat, then everyone's vulnerable. And once everyone's vulnerable, then you can go on the path to trust and open communication. So um, so th- there's exercises like that. Obviously, there's some limitations now based on what's happening. Like I can do all this stuff virtually. Uh, we can do it live or whatever it, uh, it may be. But obviously with improv stuff, it's, it's not quite as easy to be doing virtually, but we could as well. Yeah, so, I understand too. I think uh, the, the use of improv... And I've introduced it in many programs over the course of national sales meetings, national business meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny because everybody finds something uh, valuable in that session. Um, and usually it's the people that were dead set against 
performing or being part of that session because they didn't think it was going to be valuable to them. They were the naysayers that came out with the fully endorsing and supporting it. So I love when that conversion happens. And yeah. Improv has been a really important piece of, of, I think, personal development for a lot of these guys um, and professional, uh, you know, outcome where they, they just perform differently. Yeah. Um, so I think that there's a huge value in there and having people understand that and being vulnerable, like you said, yeah. really opens that, that channel. Um, yeah. So I'm and glad so, to see that. And for, for, I guess from, from my perspective with Human Scaffold, um, it's about having a discussion and let's, let's talk about what, 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 where you can use some help. And a lot of times it may be taking a team from being great to greater. It doesn't mean anything has to be broken, right? right. But it's just how can you can continue to enhance things? And another thing I learned as a teacher is, is setting expectations from the beginning. If you're blessed to be able to create a company like you have, you can set your expectations in the form of core values or whatever they mm -hmm. would be right off the bat. And then you, it's all about follow through, right? You, you, you can't go to the washroom in class <laughs> unless you've done your homework, right? right? The moment that you, you let go on that, everyone's watching, you know, as a leader, everyone's watching you. So right. then how do you, and, and how do you do the same thing in your business? How do you create expectations and then have that follow through to make sure that, uh, that you follow that, you, you, you're going to get the result that you want, right? Sometimes these things break down. If you're a small business owner, you can't do everything. So maybe you might like to have someone else come in and, and give you a hand with those types of things. Well, yeah, and that's where I think that there's, for me, it was a matter of understanding, is there a fit here? Because we've brought on new hires in the last little while. The business has grown. I mean, uh, the other business outside of Cabin, everything seems to be moving along in the right direction. It's all growing, which is great. Um, but that in itself presents its own challenges, you know, and making sure that the personalities are aligned with your vision and your your uh, hope and what you want to grow it to. So, um, you know, I've always been uh, very strong on the idea that I'm, I'm a good judge of character. Mm -hmm. And um, I find that I'm energized by people. Actually, the report said that. Um, and my, my goal is to please people. And I always want to make sure that I've got somebody working in their happiest mindset, their most productive. And I always say to them, if we could write the book right now, <clears throat> let's put the wish list together. Let's put everything on the page. Like, what does it look like for you so that you can come in here, put your pants on in the morning, love what you're doing and, you know, walk out that day saying that was amazing. So let's make that wish list together. And you know, when listening to the assessment today, it made me realize that that's hugely important to me. It might not be as important to somebody else, but I also recognize that I'm not that patient person that will take the project to 100%. I'll take it to 90% and be quite content that it's at 90%. And what I realized in, in the last couple of years is that I really have to have a, a finisher, somebody that's willing to take my 90%, that last mile. You're Tom Hankey. Yes, my Tom Hankey. Um, yeah, I want somebody to come in and clean it up and, and make it even better. And and uh, and I just realized today in, our, in, in understanding my assessment that I've hired the perfect team. I've got the right people uh, based on what I understand just from my assessment as to what theirs might be. But I'm most excited to be able to have them take part in the assessment so that we could really find the perfect fit. You bring a great point up, and this is one, one thing I really saw in teaching where, and I know this is kind of bad, and it, you know, I, I don't mean it in an unprofessional way, but you would bump into a teacher and you say, hey, do you have you know, student X 
oh man, you know, I would be teaching them in drama, for instance, and I'd teach them in science. And another teacher would teach them in French. They hated French. They're failing. You know, 51% are just getting by. Mm -hmm. And in science, they have 60. And in drama, they have 90. You know, then fast forward that to the workplace. And how many times have we seen examples of someone who is a star at one company and then they go to another and it doesn't work? Why, why is that? Could not be a, might not be a fit. You know, it could, that's not the culture or whatever buzzword you want to say. But there's something to that where, is it come down to the expectations? You know, how you set things from the start and, and, um, is it a, is it a, a strong cohesive unit where everyone knows their role? Uh, cause I read a book recently, they're talking about, um, happiness mm. and one key part of happiness is perceived control. If people have a feeling like they have a, a, a say in their control and their path and their development, then that's a huge part of it. Right. And so that's a lot of the things that I'm trying to work on and trying to help others with. Because if you can have that perceived control with everyone, then everyone feels like they're contributing and that they have power within their world of whatever they're doing. And if you tie all that together, then you should be living the dream. You should be living the dream. <laughs> that sounds magic. <clears throat> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love the idea. I mean, um, and it makes complete sense where, you know, control or, or at least perceived control would create this sense of I'm, I'm fulfilled and I'm happy, you know, yeah. and... and we talked about service and understanding the audience in a couple of podcasts ago. And, uh, you know, my goal there was always to make sure that people left the environment happy. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would do anything that I could to make sure we put in measures to make that happen. Mm -hmm. And uh, because at the end of the day, the happiness piece for me is is everything because yeah. it, it creates chatter, it creates excitement, it creates a recall, it, it, it triggers a good memory and... You know, for all of that, that's why I think that us getting closer to happy is is hugely important. So, if I'm I'm curious now because now I'm interested in what kind of companies are finding human scaffold, and you know, who's asking you to provide services? I'm interested, mm -hmm. not necessarily to name them, but like what kind of companies? So I've worked with pharma, so that's an area that I know, and I have contacts there. So that that's one area. Um, I've worked with um, uh, I work with a law firm. Uh, car dealer, um, RV dealer, like they just, so it's it, across the board, across the board. And you know, it's so funny because so many, uh, branding, uh, podcasts I listen to, or, you know, you hear different people saying, no, you got to go, you know, really focus in one area and then expand. But I don't, I want to learn. <laughs> so learning about a law firm and uh, what, what makes people tick and seeing how, that makeup is so much different than a sales person than, than the university librarians. You know, they're all different, right? And when you tie it back to their profiles, you can see that some people are high norms, low risk. They're, they're introverts. They don't want to, uh, they, they like working uh, on their own. That's where they get their energy from. And if you put them in other areas, they're going to they're gonna be drained a bit of their energy, mm -hmm. which th that happens. But how can you put each person in a situation where they're going to succeed and they're going to be successful and they're going to be happy and that they have a perceived control and not talking about all that stuff together, right? So for me, it's all, it's all about where, where do people work? <laughs> well, that's just, the common thread is people. Yeah. It's people all the way through. And does that mean to say that, um, that as an individual, and I, let's say, for instance, I didn't own a company and I don't have staff and I really just wanted to understand more of 
who and what I am so that I became a sellable property, you know, and I found my right fit. Mm-hmm. I, are, I see a value in that, but can, you know, can you elaborate on that to see where they might find value? Um, you know, it's, we went through the experience we were talking about PDA and I said, you know what, Louis, let's, let's, why don't you, well, you try it, right? And you, you did it yourself. We went through the review and then immediately you said, wow, that's great. And so there is where the value started, right? So it's almost like a test drive that we did in mm-hmm. a car, right? You go try it out and it's like, if I want to geek out on, on educational stuff, everyone learns based on auditory by listening, visual, or kinesthetic by actually doing things, right? So if I can create a situation where someone actually does something and is kinesthetically getting in and, and going through the process, then that's, that's the first step, right? So that's where I see the value, right? Because otherwise, just to come and, and explain all these things to people and say, yeah, we can do this, this, and this. Um, I've seen people say, well, you know, that's all warm and fuzzies and I don't want to do that. And I say, well, no, but there's, when we work through this stuff, it's all practical and all tangible and we can make it, we can make it happen, but you have to start somewhere first. Mm-hmm. So for instance, if someone were to come to me and say, you know, I, I don't really want to make a huge investment of time and, and money to do this. You know, how can we start to get to know each other? Like a perfect first fit would be to do a PDA. Okay. Or let's do a job fit. You know, Louis, you someone that you know wants to, uh, hire someone and it has to be that perfect fit. Perfect. We'll create a profile. We can match it for it. And you can do all that with, un, with you know, under a thousand dollars or something, you know? So it's like, you're not making a huge financial uh, um, foray into something mm-hmm. and it, you get to, to, to know it a little bit. Right. So that's the biggest challenge for me, right. Is to, to get to know. And I, I'm sitting here preaching about trust. Absolutely. I am, I'm working the other way. I have to be vulnerable and we each have to be, be vulnerable to create a trusting environment to then work forward. Right. Because, um, I know the value of having a classroom where you set the bar and the expectation and the boundaries. And when it doesn't work, it's horrible. And you have four months and then it resets. You can start all over again. Right. I screwed up here. I'm going to do this. And then you walk in and the whole class is, is working well. And then at the drop, add drop deadline, someone walks in and it changes the entire feel of the classroom. Mm-hmm. There's something about that individual that makes other people tense or something like that. Then, you, you know, it's, it's constantly this pulse of doing those types of things. When you own a business or whatever it may be, you don't get a four-month turnaround, right? Right. So to take advantage of someone who's been there a number of times and, and see what works and what doesn't might be worth it. Right. Well, I think, they, yeah, I, I think learning more about yourself um, so that you really can find that perfect environment by telling the employer or your partner or somebody you want to get into business with, this is really a snapshot of me mm-hmm. and let's look and assess me so that we can make sure that the fit is right. I think that's hugely valuable to to anybody, personally, professionally. Um, you made me think of something else, and it's a little off topic, but um, given your background in education um, and given what we're facing right now with COVID mm. and kids going back to school, I know you've got children. Yeah. Um, so are we making mistakes here? Does the, oh, does the whole school system need to be overhauled in general? Or like, what's your, what's your opinion of, because of, you, you were in the system, as a teacher, and you saw it from a different angle, a different lens. We, yeah, now you're as a parent, 
I mean, I'm interested to see because I'm I'm quite critical of the fact that, you know, it's been the same machine for decades and there's been very little change in the way we've operated from uh, from the time we're in class to the expectation for learning to the importance of grades to the, you know, you must go to college, you must go to university. Like, I'd love your take on that because you've got an interesting, you know, opinion and given that... You really you end up careful though. (laughs) Yeah, I guess you do. But given that you you end up actually working with you know people uh, from a variety of different backgrounds, I'm interested to hear like you know how 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 messed up are we or are we on track? (laughs) You think? You know, it's like anything, right? Where you go into any workplace and. It doesn't take long to recognize and you see some people are doing so many amazing things, right? And it's the same thing. You could walk in any school and you can see some teachers that are doing, wow, that's great. Look at how forward thinking this is. And and then you got some of the, the cool part about a, a school is that you got tech and English and drama and science. You have a whole, it's a microcosm of society. Mm-hmm. Every Everything that would happen in society is happening in that one building, right? So you have the go-getters that are new teachers and yeah, let's go do this and run all kinds of clubs. And then you got the old timer who's on the rocking chair, you know, Oh yeah, I did that back in 1956, you know, like that type of thing. But you need all those together. And if anything is out of whack, if you have too many young teachers or too many, you know, senior teachers or whatever, you got to find that balance. Right. So I think that most schools get that right. Right. Um, I, I think one challenge is that moving forward um, is is everything's directed from the top. And uh, I I worked recently with someone I, I managed, and she was fantastic, and she had a great saying, and I, I use it all the time now. And she said, you know what my dad used to tell me? The only time you start from the top is when you dig a hole. <laughs> and I think it's an amazing expression, right? That's because a great it expression. really does straighten out it. it, it, it paints a picture of if you're not listening to the people that are on the front lines, you're missing a major piece here. And unfortunately, I think that's what's happening, especially in the public system. It's unionized. I don't know why there's that divide. I guess we can all gather why there's a divide between the teachers and the the government, but the government's making changes. Um, and it's all based on what they think. Mm-hmm. Or some people read a bunch of books and they're just going to change the entire system of teaching. But you're not talking to the teachers, which doesn't make any sense, right? In this whole COVID thing, you're, you're listening to what the unions are saying. You're like, it's August 22nd and they haven't talked to us yet. And then they unload the plan and it has nothing. You're not listening to the people that are doing the job. Probably because they're going to fight you and say no, and then you're going to end up nowhere. So I don't, (laughs) I'm not necessarily saying that listening only to them is the only way. But again, like if I could, hey man, here's my pitch, bring me me in. I'd love to have the conversation. I don't have that much hair left, but I'm sure I'd pull it out (laughs) at the end, right? There's no vulnerability. So how are you going to have the open communication? That's perfect. I love tying that back to what you're really doing, um, by imparting that mindset in the people that you're meeting through human scaffold and the, and the companies and the individuals you're helping um, because it all ties back to that. And actually, as you're describing the school scenario, which is slightly off topic, but at the same time, I found value in what you just said, because 
it's not unlike an organization. You know, in this case, the government's playing a role and the teachers are playing a role and they're not communicating uh, effectively, which would be just like um, uh, an environment that's not performing at its optimum level. Yep. And that often is the case, uh, employer to employee, uh, where they're just not paying attention from the top down to what's really happening from the people that are on the floor that are yep. that are giving everything uh, day to day, and they're missing this connection, and they're not having those open discussions. And, and uh, I just want to make sure I'm very clear. You look at the 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 head of the Toronto District School Board, and the the head of the trustees, and the head of the union and the the teachers, they're all smart people, mm-hmm. you know? So I, I'm not pointing the finger at anyone, but for some reason, not everyone's on the same track. You know, I, I think of, what was that band? It was called uh, Go or OK Go. OK Go. Remember they had those videos where they're, they're all on the uh, treadmill yeah. and it's all in unison. You know, you like there's four guys on a treadmill. So if it was the, the union and the board and the trustees and, and the government... <laughs> And they're all doing the same thing. It would be amazing. It would be an amazing video to watch, right? But one guy's getting pulled under and another person's having a coffee, you know? Like, it's just, um, unfortunately, I, I think the, the original question that you asked, I think it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a challenge making change in transformation when everyone's not on the same page. So well, I, hopefully one day it'll happen. Right? And I look at other countries, you know, where... You've heard stories of, you know, shortened school days because learning only happens in a certain cycle and, you know, um, no homework and the mindset that, you know, you're learning at every possible, you know, um, uh, activity in your life, whether that's going shopping with your family to, you know, that cottage weekend or that camping experience, that there's a learning moment and a teaching moment. And I think, sadly, um, just like in, a, you know, an employee-employer relationship, you know, um, the employer puts all the onus on on the team that's on the in the floor and isn't necessarily leading and expects that it's going to be perfect whereas yeah. you know um just like in this case you know uh, decisions are being made from the top down and the people that are really responsible for delivering don't aren't on that treadmill they're not on the same page and yep. it's not it's not really working so mm-hmm. in any case i think I'm, I'm interested in finding out what happens around the world and i love those places that have taken real initiative and innovation and said we're going to change we're going to change the way we're doing this and we're going to i think some of them are 20 and 30 years old in the way that they've adopted new policies and procedures for school and education mm-hmm. and now we'll have case studies for it to say this is more effective and maybe we yeah. should look at changing the rule book you know, and not unlike, you know, um, um, uh, any work environment, you know, every now and then I think you got to look at your playbook and, yep. and step back for a second and recognize, am I creating happiness? Am I creating productivity? Am I, am I a barrier and a roadblock to, you know, productivity? Um, because I have an antiquated way of doing things and my team found a better way and I'm not listening. Mm-hmm. So I think those are all very valuable pieces. And yeah. And you know, said in the beginning that it was, it's not that people or, or environments are broken where they're going to find you. Uh, I think it's, it's more for people that want to accelerate and go from whatever they're at to better or from good to great. Yeah. And from great uh, to greater, you great know, greater. sometimes yeah. it is great, but does that mean that's it? You what know, else like, is there? Yeah. yeah. There's always ways to get better and, um, try and be more innovative or more, be more creative or try something new or, 
Um, and, and that's kind of the cool thing I'm noticing now as I'm working in different industries. It's kind of cool to have that experience to say, you know, in pharma, you're doing this, but have you ever considered this? I noticed that, you know, in this other industry, they're doing that of, you know, and within each industry, it's probably difficult to adopt new ideas, but you got to start somewhere, right? Start small and, and baby steps. And truly, and truly show innovation. And yeah, I think that, uh, that you stepped into a world that is perfectly suited for the Mike Zimmick that I know. Um, and I think you're going to deliver a lot of value to companies and people moving forward. Um, how can they get a hold of you? Uh, www.humanscaffold.com. Perfect. We'll put all that stuff up on the podcast as well. Yeah. Um, Mike, man, I love speaking with you. I love learning about the world that you created. I think you're going to do some really cool things. And uh, Thanks, my friend. I'm honored to have you on the show, man. Thanks so much. Okay, cool. Awesome. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, everybody. Have a good night. Thanks for tuning in.